you for this day. We thank you for this time. And we thank you, Father, for this opportunity. We thank you for this vineyard. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. Thank you for what you've already started to do. But Lord God, with great expectation and anticipation, we thank you for what we know you are yet to do, Father. Lord, bless our time together today. Let it be fruitful, Lord God. Let it be life-changing. But most of all, let it draw us closer to you and your word. Because it's so clear that heaven and earth one day will pass away. But Lord God, you know you tell us that your word will remain forever. Thank you, thank you for that assurance. We bless you right now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Managing our finances God's way. It's uh, needless to say it's a very needed thing. It's a very neat, at the times would dictate we need it even more. Because, you know, it's, it's amazing when you find out how many people struggle how many people um, are living outside their means? How many people are trying to keep up with the Joneses? How many people are saying one thing but living another? So we really do need to learn how to manage our finances God's way. We'll start right at the introduction on page two and three. It talks about the uh, big picture, the big picture. Our scripture verse we'll use for this particular session is, um, for this section, I should say, section one, uh, comes from 1 Timothy 6, 18, A and 19, uh, taken out of the Life Bible. Tell them to use their money to do good. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. So in other words, he says, when you, when, when you, when you get your money, do good with your money. Use it for the right purpose. Because when you store up in heaven, that way you, can, you will be able to cash in one day. We see right now that people have stored their money in IRAs, retirement plans. They wake up one day and it's all gone. Timothy relays here that guess what? When you store up your treasures in heaven, the moth can't get to it. Man can't destroy it. He says, so use your money. Do good with your money, but make sure you store it in the right place. You know, the big picture, it's really interesting. If you get the concept of the big picture, then you'll really understand how to handle your finances. And it sums it up here. Everything you have is a gift from God. If we ever understand that, really, what we own is not ours. It's on loan to us. God has loaned it to us for a short time. And he loans it to us to see how well will we, deal, will we do with what he gave us. So everything we have belongs to God. Everything is a gift from God. So we have to understand, it says God, God wants to partner with, with him, wants you to partner with him in accomplishing his purpose on earth. God really isn't interested in watching you fulfill your dream for your life. He wants you to fulfill his dream for your life. The re that's the reason he put us on this planet. Yeah, we all have dreams, but the best dream you could ever get a hold of is the dream that God has for you. Because when you get a hold of the dream that God has for your life, your life will change. People always go from place to place. I want to go, they got revival over there. They got this guy over here doing healing. You know what? I want to be where God is. I don't want to try to tell God, come on in and line up with what I'm doing. I want to find out what vein God is moving in, and that's where I want to line up at. The same thing with your finances. I want to go to God and say, God, okay, this is what you've lent me. I want to be faithful over it. So we have to understand that everything, everything we have is a gift from God. If Christ is truly your king, 
then you live in a kingdom that you live in a kingdom different from the kingdoms of the world. Christ's kingdom has a different set of rules, a different set of values and a different economy. Underline different set of rules, different values and a different economy. If I go too fast for the blanks, tell me to back back up and I will because we, 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 we will fill in some blanks. In Christ's kingdom, we understand the purpose for earthly wealth is to invest it in eternal treasures. Eternal treasures. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says it like this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. So you see, he's given us, he's laying a foundation here as to how we are to handle our money, what we are to do with our money. He gives us, it says, God's five purposes for your life. He's talking about our internal, our internal investment here. He says we are called to fulfill these five things in our life. Think about it. God doesn't want to just use some of his people. He wants to use all of his people. So, you know, people say, well, can God really use me? Yeah, if you make yourself available... God will use you. God is, I want to use every person because, see, God created every person for a purpose. He created us for a purpose and on a purpose. The only difference as believers, we've already, we're, we're walking into our purpose. But my brother and sister who's not saved yet, there's, there's not a major difference. The only difference, I have salvation. They're trying to get that. They still have a purpose in life. It's just taking them longer to get there. Our prayer for them is that, guess what, they'll wake up one day and get to that place that God wants them to get to. So he, he's created us to do these things. For worship, for fellowship, we're, we're to grow like Christ, we're to serve others. If we would ever grab a hold of serving others, that would change the whole world just by itself right there. So often it's always got to be about us. No, we've got to learn to take the back seat and say, God, what do you want me to do for someone else? God, how can I be a blessing to this community that I'm in? What do, do I need to go knock on doors? I, I, you know, I always tell people, I'll never ask someone to do something I won't do. If the bathroom needs to be cleaned, if I, if I can't clean it, why, can't, why would I ask what? You've got to lead by example. Serving others is leading and living by example. Be on mission for God in the world. God wants to partner with us to accomplish his purpose on earth. Think about it. He, 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 wants, he wants to partner because God says, I've already come and done what I had to do. If you think about it, he says, now I've gone back to heaven. I sent, I sent you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says, I've done my part. The Great Commission is not left up to God anymore. He wants to partner with us that we might carry out the mission that he set forth through going to the cross. How does he do that? He wants to do that by using our time, our money, our money and our energy, along with our resources to do that. Why does God want to use our time, our money, our energy, and our resources? Because that's how God works. You see, God works through his people. We, we, we are blessed to be a blessing. We're not blessed to just stick everything in our pocket. The, you you want to get a blessing, go to the grocery store. And the person behind you, tell the grocery clerk to ring up their food also. You want to make an impact on the world? Do random acts. See, because as Christians, people already think we got to plan everything or we got to do it a certain way. No, just go to the grocery store and say, you know, ring up the stuff they have right there also. Don't tell them you're past the so-and-so. Don't tell them you. If anything, give them a little card. We keep these little cards that say no strings attached. Wow. 
And on the back of the card, it says Bethel Temple with the church address and the phone number and the website. But the front of the card just says no strings attached. So I'll go somewhere. A couple weeks ago, we're at the store. This guy came behind me, had some stuff. He was on his phone talking to his wife, so it sounded like they were walking through some things. The lady rang up my stuff, got ready. I say, take his too. Didn't know who this guy was. His eyes just popped open. I paid for his stuff, gave him a card, no strings attached. In other words, you don't have to come to the church, you don't have to call the church, but guess what? There's someone who cares about you. Now that person may never come into the church, or one day, you never know, he may look around and find that card somewhere and say, you know what? I've tried it long enough by myself. Or the best thing about this is this. He may not come to Bethel Temple, but he may find a church somewhere else. See, because it's not about getting everybody to come to our house because everybody can't come to our house. But it's about getting them in somebody's house. If we'll ever grab a hold of that, guess what? It's more than enough churches, and it's more than enough people to fill them up. Yeah, we can't, because guess what? This building doesn't belong to us. It's God's. So we've got to grab a hold of that. Think about it. He says here, he says here in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you. Mm. And whoever curse you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed. Look who it says through. Through who? Through you. Circle through you. In other words, God says, I put in you the blessing that I have for somebody else. I just got to get you to a point to where you will not be stuck on yourself so much to where you can let that blessing in you bless another person. So he says that, that that's why he does that. You know, you think about it. God really likes to work through people. What else does he have to work through? God likes to work through people. And if God likes to work through people, I want to connect with God's plan because I want to be one of those people he chooses to use. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. So we got to know God loves to work through people. Next couple blanks here. God desires to, to work through ordinary people with ordinary finances. That's interesting. God wants to work through, he says, ordinary people with ordinary finances. Because it's the ordinary people with the ordinary money that's got to step out on faith. If you meet all your obligations every month and you got a pocket full of money and you have no questions, you don't have to exercise faith. Right. You know it's going to be done. Right. Right. But God says, I want to use ordinary people with ordinary finances to make a difference on earth. I say, you know what, Lord, I fit in that category. I'm ordinary and my little bit of finances, they're ordinary. But you can use them to do extraordinary things. God works through anybody who says yes to him and his plan. And that's what we, that's what we have to realize. God, God wants to work through us. We, we, we've got to learn how to, first of all, detangle ourselves from the old thoughts and old thinking about money. Because we will surrender our health to God. We will surrender our children. We'll surrender our family. The last thing we surrender to God is our finances and our checkbook. It's the last thing we surrender to God is our finances. God says we've got to change that. We must, in other words, if we're going to do our finances God's way, we must change the way we think about our finances. We can't, we can't do it like we've always done it. Because think about it. If you're having financial struggles, you've been struggling for five or six years. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to struggle another five or six years. So, right. So why not try something different? If that doesn't work, what do you have to lose? 
the worst case scenario, you go back to where you were. You were struggling before you started it. Right. So you go right back to where you were. Right. So we, 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 we've, got, we've got to realize that. Let's, let's, let's turn the page here. Now we, we, we're going to talk a little bit as we look at the, continue to look at the big picture. We see there, there's two wheels on the paper here. There's the world's pattern, and then there's God's pattern. Let's look at God's pattern first. The first thing at the top of God's pattern, it says dedicate. That's, that's number one. I, I numbered this wheel. Number one is dedicate. You can put a one right there above dedicate. How do we dedicate everything to him? He made it real clear. We dedicate to God by bringing our tithes and offerings to the storehouse. That's the first thing we do. And then number two on the wheel, we plan our spending. You notice this, this, this wheel is coming back around. We planned our spend, plan our spending. Then you give, you give your offerings. Then you save. Then you pay your bills, and then you enjoy. So number one on that will, you dedicate it to God. That's your tithe. Number two, you have to plan your spending because you have to know where your money's going. Because the first indication to financial trouble is that you're spending and don't know where you're spending it at. Then you give your offering, of course. That's a whole other thing. Um, you know, people say, well, I gave my offering. I've done my duty. Until you give a tithe, you really can't give an offering. We'll talk about that tomorrow a little bit. Because he says bring your tithe into the storehouse. That's the first thing you have to give. Your tithe is what God recognizes. Your offering is above and beyond. So you've got to give your tithe first. Then he says you need to save some. Then you repay. Repay your debt. And then you enjoy. You enjoy by paying yourself. Giving yourself also. Then you go out and have some good pizza and seafood. Some pasta. That was very good. But now let's, let's contrast that to the world system. Look at the world pattern. The first thing the world says you do is acquire. Spend, 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 spend. Buy everything. Enjoy yourself. The second thing they say, enjoy yourself. Then they say you need to repay. Then you pay your debts. Then you get a chance you save a little bit. Then you give after you've enjoyed yourself. In other words, do everything you want to do and then just give God a little bit. And then they say, make a plan. And you think about it, that's really how the world system works, though. Everywhere you go, there's an advertisement up. Buy one, get one free. 50% off. 20% off. Buy this, no payment for six months. That's the way the world, they say, acquire all you can. Enjoy what you get. Repay when you want. Repay it. Save a little bit. Finally, when you come around, give God something and then make a plan. That's not the way God designed it. This is, this is a whole different order. This is, this is what we'll talk about here. We must follow God's plan because when we do, that's how we truly get to financial freedom, by following God's plan, dedicated to God. Okay, God, I'm going to give you my 10%. I'm going to give, I dedicate my tithe to you, Father. Then you have to plan it. Then you give. Then you save. Then you repay. Then you enjoy it. The big picture here, God wants to do something of eternal significance through your life. God wants to do something of eternal significance through your life. Proverbs 29, 18 says it like this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. King James says where there is no vision, the people perish. 
But I believe where there is a vision, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's satisfaction, and there's great expectation. That's not in there. I came up with that myself. I'll, I'll say that again. <laughs> but I believe where there is a vision, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's satisfaction, and there's great expectation as to what God is going to do. God, 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 God's vision changes how we live in every way. It changes our values. It changes our priorities. And it changes our way of life. Think about it. When you, when you didn't know God, what did you value? For myself, Sunday morning was maybe going to church. But then I lived in a house where if we did not go to church, you didn't get to do anything during the day. So I'd get up and go to church and go through the motions. But my thing was to get to the car, get to the park with all my buddies, and we wash our cars together and then just cruise around. That my value, church was not at the top of my list. Once I learned who Christ was and accepted him for that whole value system changed because I recognized this car that I have, it comes from God. And it can't be more important to God because when you put it above God, things happen. I'll tell you a story about that. Had a black Mustang GT when I went to college. Love Mustangs. 5.05 speed, that thing would fly. Boy, would I got enough tickets with it too. But I loved it. But that car had become my God. So one day I was driving to class, flying like I shouldn't have been, a little wet on the road. This squirrel runs in front of me, so I decided to hit my brakes. And when I touch my brakes, I start spinning. The car goes in the woods. I'm parked up against a tree. Now, this thing that I love had just been tore up. But I believe, I didn't get hurt, God spared me, but I believe that was because that car had become my God. I put more time in that car making sure that car was clean and fit than I did making sure my soul was ready. So when you, when you learn to, to organize and live your, use your finance according to God, your whole value system will change. Your priorities will start to change. Those things that used to matter, they don't matter anymore, or they still matter, but they go lower down on the totem pole now. Your whole, your whole list of priorities change, and your way of life is different. What I found out when you accept God, you look at people through a different set of lenses. You don't judge people. You're not so quick to say, oh, they're like that because. At least I know I am because I say, when I see someone who lives under a bridge, I say it's only by the grace of God that last night me and my family, we weren't looking for somewhere to stay. So you see, your whole outlook on life starts to change. I know we're having tough times right now. It's been tough for a couple years. But you know what? My Bible tells me that God never changes. And those, I believe, who will trust in God and do it God's way, even through tough times, God will allow you to shine. Why? Because God says, you're never going to prove me to be wrong. Your neighbors can be struggling, but if you put your trust in me, I'll make you shine when everything else around you seems to be cloudy and gloomy. That's what you've got to recognize. Think about it. 50, 56% of all divorces are a result of financial pressure. Half of the people that get divorced is because there's some financial issues. You go through the church, it's amazing how many people have financial problems. But they come dressed up on Sunday. They know when to lift their hands. They know when to cry. They know when to jump. They know when to shout. But you know, to God, that grieves God's heart, I believe. He says, it makes no sense. Why don't you just be real and get your house in order? Why don't you tell the truth and set everything in order? Then you can truly worship me. There's an exercise that we normally do, and maybe we'll do it the next time. I have people to... Um, 
I'll go around the room, I'll give everybody a sheet of paper, we take a break. And I say, for the, for the next 20 minutes, I want you to write down all your, all your debt. And debt is, if you have a debt is, and I have to tell people real clear, because I told one couple, I said, they said, we got a car. I said, okay, no, they wrote it down. I said, where's your car? Oh, no, that's ours. I say, so you own it right now. Well, we make payments. No. As long as you're paying somebody else for it, it's a debt. And I'll tell them, write down all their debt. And then I'll add all that debt up. It's amazing how much debt we as believers have. And then I'll take and divide that debt out by the number of people in the room. First time I did this at Bethel when we did it, out of all those 700 people, the, if we took and divided up all the debt, it was an average of over $75,000 a person in debt. So why do so many of God's houses struggle? I believe it's not because people don't want to give. I believe it's because they need to be taught, but they don't feel that they can. The best time to give to God is always any time. But I tell people the best time to give to God is when you don't have it. Because when you give to God and you don't have it, guess what? You got to sit back and watch God do something. I'll talk about that tomorrow a little bit. You got, that's when you can sit back and say, okay, God, I gave it to you. Now what you going to do? And that's when God will. So that, that's the best time to give to God is when you really don't have it. God wants you to be financially free because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But if you're tied up in financial bondage, you can't be free to be used the way God wants to use you. For so many people, it's not that, as I said, that they, that they don't want to give. They just can't give. Or they don't feel they can give because they're afraid to step out in faith. Look at these biblical facts here. It's interesting. Study your Bible sometime. It was interesting when you to go back and look up these scriptures. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money. All of these verses are references, are referenced on that there's a CD in the back of your book. You can pull those up. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about material possessions. Nearly half of Jesus' parables are about possessions. And this was very interesting. G Jesus spoke more about money and how to use it than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why? Because we spend so much time making, spending, and talking about money. Think about it. Some people work two and three jobs. Why? So Jesus says, I'm going to lay the groundwork for you. You just got to be willing to follow me. Two primary misconceptions about money. First one is this. Money is evil. Not true. Think about it. Money is really neutral. It's not good or bad. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6, 10. There's not one, if you go back and look through the Bible, and I challenge you, I challenge you, there's not one verse in the Bible that condemns someone for being wealthy. First thing we say, I'm struggling for the Lord. I'm making it by for the Lord. No, I'm not, I'm not struggling. God didn't tell me I had to struggle. God says if I ask and I do what's right, I can have it. But see, what so often we'll do that, then when we get it, we forget who gave it to us. See, because then, then every now and then God's got to pull it back to remind us, wait a minute, you're getting a little big for your britches. I got to pull some of that from you because I want you to remember it's not because of who you are, what you've done to get you this. It's because of who I am that you have what you have. 
Think, think about it like this. It's your attitude about your money that God really looks at. It's the attitude that you have. If you make money your God, it's going to plague you like the devil. Be careful not to become, this is important, be careful not to become possessed by your possessions. So often we get it wrong. This, we're supposed to love people and use money, but so often we use people because we love money. We use people to get that promotion or we, we step on somebody to, to get to the next level to help us to, to, to make more money. But God says, no, we are to love people and use our resources. Money is to be, money is to be used for good and for God. That, that, that's why he gave it to us. So that first misconception is that money is evil. Second misconception, money is the key to happiness. That's a joke. Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11. That's very true. You, I don't know if you've ever seen those stories on TV. They show these people who won the lottery. They have this whole... TLC thing now. 99% of them won the lottery and now they're broke. Because they didn't know what to do with it. You go from receiving a welfare check to receiving millions of dollars. Because you don't know how to handle the welfare check, how can you handle the millions of dollars? So that the second misconception, money is the key to happiness. How, 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 how untrue is that? J. Paul Getty, I don't know if you ever heard of him, J. Paul Getty was one of the wealthiest men to ever live. Wealthiest man to ever live, but he was divorced five times. Now, if money truly brought happiness, why did he go through five wives? Money does not bring happiness. Howard Hughes, the first billionaire, but he lived, he lived a lonely and reckless life. Someone asked him one time, how much money does it take to make you happy? His response, just a little bit more. That's sad. But that was his response, just a little bit more. Enough is never enough is never enough. A man's life does not con consist in the abundance of his possessions, Luke 12, 15. Your self-worth is not based on your net worth. And we really get that wrong from time to time. If your self-worth is based on your net worth, every time you get money, you'll be happy running around smiling. If you don't have anything, you'll go right back down. I don't know what I call that schizophrenia. Your net worth should not be based. Your, your, your self-worth should not be based on your net worth. Your value as a person is not based on your valuables. Your life is not built on what you possess. In other words, your life should be built on he who possesses you, which is God. Mark says it like this. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his very soul? Write this down. I'll say it a couple times. You make a living by what you get. You make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. 
You make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. You get some time, just sit down and think about that for a while. I make my living by what I get. But my life is made by what I do, what I give to others. Financial freedom is not determined by how much money you make. It's determined by how you spend what you have. Fill in the blank. Spend what you have. Proverbs 3, excuse me, Proverbs 3 verse 2 says it like this. Wisdom brings prosperity. Wisdom brings prosperity. In other words, most of us, most of us don't have a money problem. We have a management problem. Next two blanks. We don't have a money problem. We have a management problem. If you follow God's plan, I don't care how much money you make, how little or how much. If you want to get out of debt, you can still become financially free. But you don't understand. I, I barely make anything. If you make an income and you're willing to sit down and submit, I can show you how to take that income and get out of debt. I only make $10,000 a year. You can become debt-free with $10,000 a year. Because the Bible never says how much we are to make. It says we can make, 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 make. But he does say, I don't want you. The Bible says, owe no man anything. Don't be in debt. The Bible says we're to be the lender and not the borrower. That thing has been flip-flop. You look at Forbes' list of millionaires. How many Christians do you find up there? So we don't have a money problem. We have a management problem. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says it like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Circle self-control. Against such there is no law. Self-control is what gets us in trouble, the lack of self-control. Impulse buying. Oh, I got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. I tell people, no, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. We really try to live on a philosophy. If we can't pay cash for it, we really ask ourselves if we need it. My family, they laugh at me because they know they call me a penny pincher. You know, widescreen TVs have been out forever. We finally got one, I think, two years ago. I had a TV that was nice, it was paid for. I refused to pay all that money for a big TV. So I kept negotiating, because see now, I'll go into a store, I can say I never pay pretty much full price for anything. It doesn't have to be on sale. I see it in the counter, I tell the people, you did not pay that much for those jeans. So you can give me a discount on those jeans. My girls, they be hiding their head and stuff. <laughs> I'm just like that. So that TV, we started at about, it's a 52-inch Sony Bravo. It's a nice TV. We started, it started about $2,600 for that TV. Then when they first came out, they were like four dollars and $5,000. Like, that's a mini car. When I left the store, it took me two years to get it, but when I finally left the store with that TV, I paid $1,400 for that TV. You have not because you ask not. Why do we pay people full price for everything? 
You know when you go in the store, if that was the real price, they wouldn't make any money on it. Don't be afraid. I teach my kids, ask for a discount. Now my oldest daughter, Kelsey, not asking for a discount. I got to tell Kelsey, Kelsey, no, it was $20, not $30. Take some of the money back. My middle daughter, Kaylin, oh, now she's like her daddy. She's tight. My youngest daughter, Cameron, she'll get a shirt off her back. She's our missionary. Cameron will give you anything. Went to the store, the other day. she had a little wallet with her money, later told the price. Cameron just takes all the money and lay it on the counter. I says, no, Cameron, you got to count it out. You got you to give her the right amount. She's our little missionary. But, but, but you, you, you've got to learn. It's all about self-control. You got to ask yourself, do I really need that right now? I've made it this long without it. Can I wait a little bit longer? We like to, when we're going to make big purchases, we like to save up for it. We don't like to just go right out and make a big purchase. Why? Take that money and put it somewhere else. Use that, use that money for something else. Save up for those things. Ask yourself the question, do I really want to buy this thing and put $1,000 on my credit card, or can I wait and save the money and get it? Because what people do, well, I'll buy it and just pay it off. No, because when the bill comes, you say, well, I can pay the 89 now, and I can keep the other instead of paying the whole $1,000. I'll just make the monthly payment. So that $1,000 just costs you maybe twelve dollars to $1,400. And if your credit's not good, that $1,000 just costs you almost $2,000 if you're paying 25 30% interest. So ask yourself the question, do I really need that right now? Or why don't I save up and buy it when I can pay cash for it? Because see, throughout our house, nobody can come in and take anything because we owe them for it. Furniture, saved up, paid cash for it. Patio furniture, saved up, paid cash for it. So they can't come and say, that's ours. No. If if you pay cash for things, you'll take care of it better you'll, because you'll wait longer to get it. But the satisfaction of knowing that, guess what? This is mine. I don't owe anybody for this. So the next time you're going to make a big purchase, ask yourself, do I really need to, to, to buy that right now? Cars are the same way. I don't know when that, we stop buying new cars. I go buy cars from Enterprise. People break them in, they have about 10,000 miles on them. Those cars are half the price that you get on the lot, and you get the same warranty. Suburbans are like 50-something thousand dollars. Last one I bought, we paid $27,000 for it. It was brand new. It had 12,000 miles on it. I get the same warranty. I don't have to drive a new car because my neighbor got a new car. You got to decide how you're going to do your finances, your way or God's way. Let's go to page six. Without self-control, our yearning, Y-E-A-R-I-N-G, our yearning capacity will always exceed our earning capacity. Without self-control, our yearning, our desire, our want capacity will always exceed our earning capacity. That's why we have to learn to manage our finances God's way. One day we're all going to stand before God and he's going to ask each of us two questions. What did, what did you do with my son? Did you accept him or did you not? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? If you are untrustworthy about worldly, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? Luke 16, 11. 
Think about it. You've got to be, you've got to be faithful with that that God gives you. Here's the real financial asset test right here in the prayer, prayer of our God. This is true balance. Lord, don't let me be too poor or too rich. Give me just what I need. If I have too much to eat, I might forget about you. If I don't have enough, I might steal and disgrace your name. So in other words, Lord, put me, give me a balance. Put me right in the middle so I'll recognize that everything I have comes from you. And without you, I'm nothing. Don't put me too far to one side because I may get puffed up and say, you know what? I got this house. I got all this because of who I am. Let me stay right and keep me balanced right in the middle, Lord. That needs to be our prayer. God, give me balance. That's what, that, that's what true financial freedom is. It's having balance. Godliness with contentment is great gain. First Timothy. A new definition of what it means to be wealthy. A, true, a truly wealthy person is a person who is content with what he or she has. Content with what he or she has. Let me ask you a question here. Talking about banking, where, 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 where do you bank? You bank on earth or do you bank in heaven? If your treasure if your treasures on earth, every day of your life you're getting further and further away from it. Because when you die, you can't take it with you. How many have ever been to a funeral and seen a U-Haul behind the hearse? Can't take it with you. But if you're banking in heaven, where the moth and the rust can't destroy it, every day we live, we grow closer and closer and closer to our treasure. Because that's where eternity is for us who believe in Christ. So where are you doing your banking? Are you storing up to where the, where the rust and the, the moth can't eat it? Or are you spending time getting all you can and canning all you get down here? Mm -mm. We've got to learn to manage our finances God's way. Let's take about a five-minute break, and then we'll come back together. I put it on mute. Hello, family. I heard that. Sorry, I'll take your pictures of me. Oh, y'all so sweet. What time did you get in? Uh, no. 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 No